You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, host, back with another episode down in downtown Oklahoma City today. We're in a building that I've actually recorded in before. Uh, a few episodes, well, probably a hundred episodes ago, I was at 1032 Space with the guys at the fashion store down the street. But we're in, I guess, Deep Deuce area? Let's just call it that. Um, talk about some commercial real estate, some cars. Um, but before we do, I want to thank our sponsor, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. As always, they've been a huge part of the podcast, um, sharing Oklahoma's story since 1927. Uh, just just a great building to host your wedding, too. I mean, you, just an awesome building. So, and, and, and just a huge partner of us. So, a huge thanks to them. For more information on the Hall of Fame, you can go to at Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and then follow them. For more information online as well, www.oklahomahof. So today, we, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit of real estate, a little bit of car stuff. Um, my guest today is Zach Martin, and we're going to talk a little bit about his story. People probably know him. People probably see his lime green spaceship McLaren driving around downtown every day, but we're going to talk a little bit about his story and, and find out what makes him tick and, and who he really is. So, Zach, thanks for coming on the podcast. I uh, really appreciate your time. And excited to hear more about the story. Thanks, thanks. Appreciate you having me. You bet. So, like I said, most people will know you from showing up to car shows or driving the car around town. Um, it's extremely bright. It's got a great set of new wheels on it. Um, but we'll touch on the car stuff later. Thanks. Before that, where are you born and raised? So, I was born in Edmond. Uh, grew up there. Went to high school there. Went to uh, college there. Went to uh, OCS. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then went to UCO. And... I, I like Edmond a lot. I've since moved downtown, but I'm in Edmond just about every day. Got you. Uh, so, so growing up in Edmond, obviously, it's not what it is today, right? But yeah. the traffic was probably still bad back then. Yeah, I mean, used to you could like drive across town. Now you need to like, you know, plan your route and fill up on gas a couple times. It's it's growing. It's really good to see it growing. So it's doing. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Edmond is Edmond is growing. It's a good place. Yeah. Uh, and family as well. You got brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. My uh, I've got an older sister and a younger brother. And my uh, brother's a marine. And my sister uh, lives in Dallas. And they've moved away. And I am the the kid that stayed behind. I suppose so. the, the middle problem child. Yeah, it's the middle problem child <laughs> that never left the city. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I like it here though. I like Oklahoma City. Yeah. So so. Uh, it seems like you're pretty home-based as well, right? Like, always stayed here, grew up here, went to school here. Yeah. Uh, what, what's kind of like, you know, when you're in high school and, and are you into sports or are you kind of into, like, just, you know, the books instead? Like, where were your passions at? Yeah, yeah. I, I played soccer uh, through high school. Um, I played uh, a lot of soccer after high school, really. I played a uh, club at UCO for four years and then... I played indoor for years, so yeah, mostly soccer. Soccer makes you take then. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's good. I really, I really got an indoor too. It was really a lot of fun. So yeah, out, out of um, it must be a strange sport to to grow up here, right? Because soccer's not the thing. Like for me, back yeah. home, like it's you know football yeah, or rugby, football. right? But out here, it's like oh, it's. I mean, it's icy. I see why it's yeah. it's a lot of fun to play. But out here, it's like oh, you you play soccer. It's it. Why yeah. didn't you play the others, right? Yeah, I play a lot of ping pong these days, as you as we probably see, yeah. observed. We are uh, uh, sitting at a ping pong table, but uh, yeah, I'm really into I'm really into it. So yeah, we, we do like tournaments, and uh, I have uh, yeah, it's like the it's it's like the funnest dorkiest thing at the same time. So I like ping pong. We had so my freshman year in college, we had tiny dorm room and someone was giving away a table i think some senior was graduating was like do you want this table i'm like yes and you know you, you could basically play play table tennis all day but that's all we did because you yeah. couldn't fit anything else in our dorm room uh and trying to get to sleep at night while my buddies are playing you know table tennis or ping pong as i'm trying to get sleep for a golf tournament was not a smart move <laughs> but i i was good in good in uh my freshman year i'm terrible now no I, I took it so far as there was this place in Crossroads Mall called Carl's House of Pong. Yeah. That's a real place. And I went up there and started taking private lessons of ping pong, which, you know, and I remember sitting there, we're, we're like having deep discussions about the backspin of the ball and what that does. And I thought to myself, 
this is what I always wanted to do with my life. You know, <laughs> here we take private ping pong lessons at Carl's House of Pong. I'm pretty sure that nobody there had a girlfriend, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there we were. <laughs> there we were. And uh, yeah, my paddle, like, you can actually like stick the ball to it and the ball will come up with it. It's like that sticky. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, it's legit. So yeah, it's, it's a good time. I mean, you could be in the Olympics, right? Yeah, well, you know? I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know about that, but, but I play a lot anyway. That much I know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. That's, That's awesome. Fun. I love that. Uh, so, so growing up then, obviously you seem super competitive. You, you know, one of three kids, um, and, and like I said, you kind of love staying around home and, and it seems like Edmund had a, Edmund and Oklahoma City had a really good soccer base at that time as well. And, and still does today. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, it's, it was, uh, Real, you know, real popular thing, and it's just kind of the one sport I played. I mean, I tried other sports; I wasn't any good at them at all. But uh, I played a lot of soccer, mm-hmm. so it's a good. It's good. So at UCO, were you an athlete, student athlete, or were you, you just said you played club? And that means two different things. For yeah, me. I mean, it was a weird deal. But okay, because of what is it called, Title Twelve, we yeah. couldn't be varsity. There's, but but they did give scholarships, and yeah. we traveled. So we played Kansas, we played Dallas, we played. You know, we travel, we're on the road. And yeah, yeah. so, I mean, it was, I think at that time, it was called the OCCSL, Oklahoma College Club Soccer League. All the local colleges had a club team with OCCSL. Um, and it was, anyway, so. Yeah. I mean. It, so you were effectively a student athlete. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm trying really hard to talk it up. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's we'll really go with that. Really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when, you, when you get to college, do you kind of already have the idea of, hey, I'm going to do this degree. I kind of know my path. Or are you just kind of like much more like I was like, oh, we'll just figure it out. So I was really lucky as a kid from the time I was eight years old. I wanted to own and operate commercial real estate. It was I remember being a kid, some kid would be like, I want to be a fireman. The next one would be, I want to be a cowboy. I'd be, I want to own and operate commercial real estate. And uh, that's what I always wanted to do. When I went to college, I said, I need all the real estate classes. I need all the Spanish classes. That was always been a big passion of mine, learning that. And uh, so for me, it was easy. I just went there and I knew yeah. that's what I needed. So Why? Family in it? Like, where do no. you, you get drawn to no. that? Play so, Monopoly too many times? Yeah, I guess. My family was not in real estate. Uh, when I was a kid, this, there was like the greatest place on earth. It was this place called IB's. It was, it's this famous landmark out at Broadway and Waterloo, and we would go there. And I remember one day I was really little. Somebody said, "He's that guy over there. He owns this place." I was like, "Wait a minute, you can own, you can own a place? What?" And I'll, that's what I want to do. And yeah. I'm telling you, every since I was, I was eight years old, my mom will tell you that's all what I always wanted to do was to be in commercial real estate. So. Um, I really consider myself very fortunate mm-hmm. in that regard because I always knew what I wanted. And today, I love it. I mean, my favorite day is Monday. I show up to work. I like what I do. And um, it really made it really simple. You know, when you, like in high school and junior high, I always knew what I wanted to do. So. Right. That's kind of, I, I was watching a video. It's funny you said that. I was watching a video this morning and it was, uh, I'm, I'm a golfer, right? So I was watching kind of PJ Tour, kind of they do like segments on players. And for some reason, Brooks Kepka's one came up. Um, and 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 his they interviewed his dad and his dad was like, you know, you're not very you're not he wasn't as good as a kid, right? And his dad said, you know, you think of a plan B and it's like, Dad, I'm gonna be a professional golfer. Like there is no plan B. Yeah. And that's like the same thing you just said, right? it's like, you know, there's so many instances where people just commit to one thing, that's the only thing they think about, that's their entire plan. And that's it, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't even think about failing or anything else. Like, and it seems like you know the same thing, right? You knew exactly where you wanted to go. The decisions you had to make, you know, were already to that north star of I'm going to be in commercial real estate and I want to own buildings in one yeah. point. And conversely, I always felt kind of bad for like friends of mine that were figuring, you know, it out. 25 yeah. and 30, and they still don't know what they want to do. I mean, and I and I. I mean, I, again, like I, I, I'm just really fortunate that that's always been the case, and I really, really enjoy it. I mean, I, I've, I've done res. I, I mean, I've had rent houses, so I've, I've, I've messed around with that some, um, but uh, just wanted to do commercial real estate. So yeah, it's made made life real simple. Do you have to have a degree for you? You should. Do you just like I'm 18? I can do my real estate license. What is it like in real? That's in residential. What is yeah. it kind of the same in commercial as well? It's the same license. Okay. So, um, yeah, you just need a real estate license, and you can go out and you can 
Yeah. You can do transactions. Now, that's as a broker. Uh, I mean, my, my, my real intent was not to be a broker. I wanted to buy buildings, own them, fix them up, rent them out. And that's, yeah. that's now a good vehicle to get to that is to go out and become a broker. And so for years I did that and I would do third party transactions mm-hmm. because that's a really good means of learning the business. So, um, and you know, that's what Adept is. Adept's yeah. a brokerage company. Primarily I focus on the investment side and, but, uh, uh, it was, I've enjoyed every bit of it. Yeah. Well, what I was kind of getting at is that like you could have, uh, you didn't have to go to university, right? To Correct. be a commercial real estate. Correct. But you thought, Hey, why not? I, I'll, I'll enjoy my club experience as well. And I'm going to get a degree. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I can, I, mean, I just don't know how helpful any of the school was anyway. So for starters, all the license preparation is all geared towards residential. Right. I mean, so when you take the test, it's not it's completely irrelevant or almost completely irrelevant to anything it's to do with commercial. It's almost completely irrelevant to be a residential too, right? It's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, hey, yeah. What are all these random, <laughs> random okay, questions. Yeah, like, yeah, anyone who's listening that's a real estate agent will know that the test is doesn't teach you how to sell houses. It teaches yeah, you how to not I, I don't get know what, what all that stuff is. <laughs> right. It's nothing, no, nothing helpful. Relevant whatsoever yeah yeah you're right so so then so you what degree did you do in college then so i studied finance Mm -hmm. and um at the time i was uh you know starting to buy and sell houses and um really just kind of pursued my business and uh studied finance yeah were you working uh part-time full-time for anybody at that time when you're in college um yeah when i was in college uh, in high school I had a very busy lawn and landscaping business for years. Okay. And then my my intention behind that was to save up money to buy my first house and so that I could start you know buying houses and renting them out. So yeah. That's, I did I did that. I started renting out houses, but then it I I, I started buying houses and renting them out, but I, pretty quickly I realized that you needed more money than I had and so I went out into really full-time brokerage as a means of, of uh, you know, making some money so I could right. get to my goal. Yeah. Tell me about the loan business to save up for the first house. Oh, yeah, man. I That's got to be a story. Way harder back then than I do now. <laughs> Take that. That was just brutal. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I did landscaping, and, you know, like a lot of like a lot of people do when they're in high school, um, I was out mowing all sorts of yards and had a couple helpers and, um, that was that was a lot of work. So, yeah. uh, but I knew I didn't want to do that as a full time deal, and a lot of people do, and that's great. Um, that's, but again, I, I knew what my goal was, and uh, so uh, I started buying houses in Southwest Oklahoma City, fixing them up, renting them out, and and you know all over Northwest, uh, different parts. But uh, mo- mo- you know almost all, almost all, all in Oklahoma City, city although I was uh, from Edmond, yeah, and started renting them out, and then. Uh, got into commercial real estate brokerage at the age of 25 and uh, worked uh, worked in that for a long time. How old? Uh, so talk, tell me about that first house. Where was it? How much did you put down? How much was the house? Yeah. So my first houses were over on uh, Northwest 29th and Classen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was about about 90,000. Well, actually, okay, so my first house I bought in college, uh, it wasn't truly a rent house because I lived in it, but my first house I, I, I bought in college uh, off of 15th Street near, near UCO, mm-hmm. and I rented out my rooms. And that's really where I, 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 I really felt like, okay, this is definitely what I want to do because right. renting out my rooms was great. I rented out a couple of my, my rooms, and it paid my whole mortgage. I thought, yeah. this, is, this is a great deal. So, uh, so that was really my, my first one. Um, and then later on, I would I would go into the city and find houses for considerably less. I mean, buying houses in Edmond is 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 very so certainly when you're when you're right. in your early twenties, uh, and, and and really by any standard, they're 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 rather expensive. Yeah. So you get the bug then. You're in college. You get the. You, like I said, you do what a lot of smart college people do is, hey, let's let's let me buy this house because I've saved up enough money for a down payment, and I have my buddies rent mm-hmm. from me and pay my mortgage. Yeah. Um, which I mean, that's even some for everyone listening who's about to graduate graduate university, you should do that too. Buy a house and have your buddies rent from you rather than going and spending a fifteen hundred bucks at an apartment or whatever it is. So it was really funny. I when I. At UCO, the signs would always read, room for rent, $250, room for rent, $200. 
mine said room for rent $550. And for some reason, people rented it. And then I, I thought, man, that's great. So then I put up another sign. For, that was in my master bedroom. For the next yeah. one, I rented out for 400 and somebody rented it. Um, and then a friend asked, hey, do you have any more rooms? And the only one I had left was mine. So I rented a mine, and I moved into my attic. Now, when I say attic, I don't mean some nice attic. I mean... You mean a legit like attic a legitimately with no... <laughs> horrible attic. I mean, you want to talk about cold, man. I would have, like, two electric blankets stacked up on me, and I was living in that thing. It was miserable. The funniest part was I bought a coin-operated washer and dryer. Yeah. And I put it in there, and uh, because I started wanting to charge my roommates to wash their clothes, and, man, they were not, not happy about that. <laughs> and so there was a lot of bitterness. But I mean, you know, the funniest part was to dry your clothes, it would take like six cycles to dry them. I mean, they would come out in the lab and they're watching you, hey, I want a refund. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. There are no refunds. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so that was definitely a point of contention. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it turned out great. So uh, I had that house for five years and I sold it and it was good. Yeah. Uh, you ever drive by that house to remind yeah, yourself? I do. I drive by it sometimes, and it's uh, yeah, yeah. I do. It's a great reminder. I'm sure one day you might even buy it back just yeah, to have it, right? Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. So, so you said you're 25. You get into the brokerage side of things as as trying to like you know f with having clients, right? You're helping mm -hmm. clients buy houses, buy um, commercial deals, and then like I said, making more money. So you're saving more money with the whole goal of I now that I know more about these deals. I can be the first one to these deals because they're going to be on the market and then, yeah. you know you rather than take it to your client there is an opportunity one day where you think you know what the numbers make sense i'll do this well it does put you in traffic in the sense that you can you can get involved in a deal when it makes sense so certainly there's there's occasions where um uh you can you can you can buy a property and it works out great for the seller and you know you're seeing transactions uh, all day every day so there's plenty of opportunities for that to make sense so yeah yeah uh it's it's helpful because mm -hmm. you're um you're in the market yeah and and so so that grows you you know you build from there you build your client base you meet a lot of great people and that's the one thing i think about business in oklahoma city that i've learned over 10 years it's, it's relationship business and then mm -hmm. you know like if the deal doesn't work, it doesn't matter. We're still gonna be friends after it. Like it's not not a huge deal. Um, but tell me about the kind of like that period. You know, like that 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 you know you graduated. You kind of know what you're doing. You're you're, you're a broker now, and you, your goal is now to to find your first building at that age. Yeah. So starting brokerage was super super tough. So I knew that I would go a long period of time without making any money. Mm -hmm. So I sold my house in Edmond. Um, I sold my lawn business to a friend of mine um, and had a, a savings and I needed it because the first year and a half in brokerage, I made $1,500 and it was tough. I mean, so getting started in commercial real estate is super difficult. Um, I was, uh, my, my, my first assignment was leasing uh, the first national center, which is, which is really awesome. I mean, right. I went from mowing lawns to leasing the first national center and you know i don't i don't know if you're familiar with it but it's but it's a very large building at the time uh it was mostly vacant so i got a nice office on the 26th floor <laughs> i was super pumped and uh i went there and uh promptly couldn't i mean it was that was that was a hard assignment so uh, i went there and uh started trying to lease that thing yeah. out i think everybody in oklahoma city has a story about first national and uh but but um you know, the first year was tough, but, but yeah, uh, the second, really at the end of the second year, things had gone very well. And I had uh, been fortunate to get plugged in with a really great team, a uh, great guy by the name of Tim Strange. I uh, gave him my first uh, job as a brokerage at a place called Sperry Van Ness and went out and started uh, selling uh, office buildings, shopping centers, and uh, it, it went well. Yeah. For people who really don't kind of aren't in the real estate world and don't get commercial real estate, when, when someone comes to you and says, hey, I have you know, an office building or I have a mall or whatever, can you lease it? Mm -hmm. You're not making phone calls to like the locals, right? You know, you're figuring out who like the rep is for, I mean, yeah. the big, big box stores, right? Yeah. What, what was that like at the time as well, being the first, you know, coming into it fresh as well? Well, you're right. It is 
daunting mm-hmm. in terms of knowing where to start. So I started out as a leasing agent. My, you know, that's kind of maybe, let's say, a, a good jumping in point. Um, and you hustle around downtown and you try to know who to call. Uh, it's probably not your friends and family, right. like a lot of businesses are. So to your point, it's probably not people you know already. It's it's probably, uh, they're probably represented by a site selection company. If, if, if it's retail or something like you, you had mentioned, um, and it's it it can be daunting and and ergo the first year and a half I made fifteen hundred dollars because yeah. it's very hard to start. So because you're picking up the phone to whoever the you know yeah. and whoever the big guy in commercial is at the own a few in Oklahoma City is saying hi I'm Zach Martin and they're like and they're who like, the heck are you who is Zach Martin like, hang up the phone <laughs> right so, yeah so it was a tough deal yeah so uh, and uh, yeah at the time I think I had like one suit so I would wear it to work every day and try to keep it perfectly clean I mean it was tough and I had I mean I didn't even know what questions to ask right so or what to do so it was very. But luckily, like I said, I, got, I, got, I, I was very fortunate to get plugged into a good team. Um, I tried really hard to get that job. I would go up there all the time, like trying to get hired and, you know, just any excuse I could to come up with the office and mm-hmm. try to hang out until they threw me out. So yeah. it was good. There's some really great lessons in that, what you just said, right? Like, you know, building up a savings basically for a year, knowing that it's going to suck and yeah. the fact that you literally made $1,500, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, um, but all the things that you learned during that time, the, the, as you grow as a person, right? You know, you you get told no hundreds of, hun- you know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of times, right? And then, you know, you just persevere. And, and for people listening who, who want to be in the entrepreneur space, regardless of if it's commercial real estate, there's a lot of lessons to be learned there of just perseverance and not giving up, you know, and just constantly working on that goal the lucky part for me was again I'll go back to just knowing what I wanted to do because it wasn't so my first year and a half was really bad but it wasn't I mean that's what I was going to do that's what I wanted to do forever Mm -hmm. so okay so the first year and a half was bad well yeah I mean in the grand scheme of things it's a short you know well, especially, especially if you're not thinking about quitting. I mean, right. I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. So the first year and a half is really bad. And I would meet people that were advanced at it and they were really good. And I was like, okay, well, yeah. you know, I mean, I'll just hang out with that guy and ask him questions. So yeah, yeah. that's what I wanted to do. So How does kind of like, where do we go from there to, to adapt to where mm-hmm. we are now? So I spent 12 years with a large company and I'm super grateful for the time I had there. I learned a lot. Um, it's a pretty natural progression in your career when you're spending a lot of time working on your own deals, when you're, you know, transacting your own investments. It's a pretty natural progression to eventually start your own shop. Mm-hmm. And as evidenced by the, by there, there was kind of a wave of us that got in and a lot of those guys that are really about my age or started their own businesses uh, several years back. A lot of my peers did. So anyway, so let's see, four years ago, four years ago, maybe a little more. I can't remember. Four, four and a half years ago, I I left and um, I was very fortunate to get started um, with uh, one of my very good friends, uh, Andrew Huang. He is, uh, he's an attorney. He's a super sharp guy. He himself had had a very uh, good career in terms of brokerage and investments and we'd been friends for years and um we teamed up and started adept in bricktown and opened up shop and and uh it it, it just made sense he was at a similar place in his career too where he had been doing it for a long time and he was ready to you know it just made sense to do his own thing yeah and during this period then uh, had you kind of ticked off the goal of like owning your own buildings as well Mm -hmm. yeah well at that point, both he and I already owned some property, mm-hmm. and we knew that that's what we really wanted to do. We were very much focused on buying industrial buildings, yeah. and our timing was, was very good. I mean, we, we had been buying industrial buildings for a while, um, which kind of, if you're at your day job and you're out doing your own thing, you can kind of see how that kind of creates... Uh, Opportunity uh, to start your own deal, and maybe even some angst yeah. in terms of your 
moonlighting on the job. Um, so uh, so we, we had very similar goals. Uh, we knew what we wanted to do, and uh, we were both already doing that, and we just kind of uh, hit the gas pedal and yeah. got started. Where was your first building? Um, well, um, really, the first deals I did before Adept were a number of things I did in Bricktown. Um, I, de- I developed some buildings there. Uh, my first first deal with Andrew was on Southeast 39th. Mm-hmm. We bought uh, eight buildings that were in terrible condition. I mean, it was in a pretty, pretty... Well, it's funny. It's actually a tough area, mostly because of this complex. It was a mess. It was they were they were abandoned, uh, vandalized, uh, and they needed a full full redo. So we bought that complex, and uh, it was a former headquarters of of a, of, a, of some company, and uh, proceeded to fix it up. Yeah, yeah, and and. I think, like, obviously, you've been in the business for a long time, and and you know, you you see opportunity, right? And you know the cost that it's going to take to to flip it around and and make it presentable, and hopefully make a profit on the other side. And and it seems over the years that, you know, the the harder you work at it, the the you know, not that the harder you work, the luckier you get, but the more opportunities that you see mm-hmm. because you're doing it for so long. That's well said, right? Yeah. You know, I hate I hate the word luck. It's yeah. you know, it's never lucky when you when someone's hands are sore and bleeding from playing hitting golf balls, you know, for ten hours. What's a day. the saying? Uh, m- most overnight success right. stories are twenty years in the making. Yeah. So that's luck. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, you're right. That's luck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's kind of like? I mean, being in Oklahoma City and you know, and just seeing the growth in, especially on the commercial side, over the last fifteen years. Well, now that is—I don't know if I want to say lucky or good fortune or whatever—but I've been very fortunate in in. So, my parents, your parents, mm-hmm. my my parents stepped out into the workforce in 1980s, mm-hmm. maybe a little before that actually. But I mean, imagine stepping out into the oil bust. And as hard working and as smart as you might be, that's that's going to be yeah. tough. Now, I don't, I'm not saying he's a victim, but I'm just saying you have challenges. Yeah. Um, I've been very fortunate in the sense that I stepped out into the beginning of one of the longest bull runs in American history in terms of our economy. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the the national economy, but certainly in Oklahoma City, we have seen an expansion of our population, of commercial real estate values, of downtown Oklahoma City, which is precisely, you know, which is where I yeah. specifically work. Um, so it's been, that was very fortunate to be, to step out in 2005 or six or whenever I started downtown, right as, you know, things were really, you know, that's when MAPS, the original MAPS project was really, uh, the benefits were beginning to really set in. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, it was very fortunate. Yeah. Opportunity's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's a good opportunity. Yeah. It's a good opportunity. You just mentioned maps as well. Obviously, you know, a huge part of Oklahoma City. You know, I've mm-hmm. been here 10 years now, and it's clearly been a big part since I've been here. Um, and obviously, like you just mentioned, you know, starting around that time as well was was great for you. Um, you know, we're on maps four, mm-hmm. and it seems like everything they've done has worked. Yeah. You know? Yeah, uh, MAPS has been, so MAPS, for anybody that's not familiar, is a metropolitan area planning system. Uh, it began in, I believe, 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a one-penny sales tax to raise money for uh, public works projects. And the original MAPS was $280 million. Now, that's it was either 230 or 280. Anyway, uh, they built a number of projects downtown. And it's just been it's been tremendously beneficial for the downtown area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we've seen a, a few other maps since then. They're just finishing up maps four, and a lot of neat projects have uh, arisen as a result of those uh, yeah. endeavors. Yeah, uh, obviously we can't really. I mean, every podcast I seem to do, COVID comes up, so I'm going to bring it mm-hmm. up because it's such an impact on commercial real estate. I mean, the residential market kind of stopped for two weeks and then it went absolutely mental because everyone mm-hmm. realized that they needed two home offices mm-hmm. and the rates were still good and and it, we're still in in a great housing market. Uh, what's it been like on the commercial side? Because obviously everyone's office was like you're working from home now. You know, I mean, yeah, you got plenty of friends of mine who are now working from home still. So we talk about commercial real estate in terms of product types. Mm-hmm. So your product types are office, 
office buildings, retail. So it's going to be uh, shopping centers, off, uh, shopping malls, uh, restaurants kind of lumped into one. Industrial, which is metal buildings, distribution, mm -hmm. warehouses, yeah, hotels. Uh, th those are your product types. So um, let's start with the bad news. So retail uh, got hurt the worst. Yeah. So neighborhood shopping centers have been adversely impacted. Restaurants, obviously, probably actually restaurants are specific or the specific portion of retails that probably got hurt the worst for obvious reasons. Um, I would submit to you that what occurred in terms of retail commerce was already a trend that was taking place, yeah. but just was that probably got expedited by yeah. ten years, uh -huh. and so we saw uh, online shopping really pick up, and uh, things getting sent through the mail really really get picked up. Um, office got hurt uh, next. So people start going to offices. People begin to do reduction in spaces. Um, you know, another thing that, that people don't fully appreciate is, is that, uh, there was a trend of open workspace uh, that, that became very popular during uh, pre-coronavirus. Now, yeah. that's, now that's really reversing, and you're wanting to see people compartmentalize their offices again. Well, that's, that is super expensive if you own buildings yeah. to go and retrofit all the spaces you just got done building out. So office got hurt. Uh, things that did really well are... Um, industrial mm -hmm. did very well, so that's the beneficiary of a lot of that logistical uh, transport and storage space. Yes, yeah, uh, storage. Um, we've also seen a big uh, housing boom, which has uh, certainly uh, had a positive impact on industrial. The uh, so all the people that are so busy out building homes and working on homes all rent space. So your plumbers, yeah. electricians. Uh, all those guys, they, they rent in industrial space warehouses to, uh, to office um, or to, from which to run their business. Right. So th that's been very busy. Um, and then, um, uh, of course, apartments and housing uh, yeah. did really well. Uh, and then, oh, real quick, uh, hotels, we call it hospitality. That's another product type. Uh, hotels have, have, been, have been hurt pretty bad. They got hammered, didn't they, at the beginning? Yeah, hammered, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So the, the, that's... That's well, and a lot of the hotels are shifting to Airbnb. Um, Airbnb is is picking up a, a, a fair amount of of uh, hotel traffic. So again, that's putting more pressure on the housing market um, and uh, acting as somewhat of a, a reduction towards uh, hotel occupancies. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean I, I, rem oh, I remember March obviously twenty twenty. Everyone's like the world is on fire, right? Everyone's like, it's chaos. But, mm -hmm. you know, when it leveled out a little bit, everyone kind of understood, okay, like, we'll be okay. We kind of have a plan now. We need to know, you know, we, you know what is working and what isn't working. And, you know, restaurants went to, to go and, and hotels were, it's like, okay, we need to figure this out. But, it, you know, back to your point earlier of being fortunate, it seemed like being in the commercial uh, industrial space was very fortunate for you guys because, like I said, you, nobody saw COVID coming, but just having that those buildings available for storage, logistics, whatever it was, yeah. was just timing. That's that was really good. That was really fortunate. So I had actually had was um, my time. My time worked out good. I was yeah. I was I was invested in Bricktown, uh, sold those assets right before some COVID hit. Some changes yeah. happened there, and uh, then I began. Uh, buying buying warehouses yeah. and uh, things have we've been on a good upswing for warehouses. Another obviously big thing is is marijuana business coming here and and either the grows are outside or there are a lot of them that are inside right yeah. in those warehouses that people might have been storing things in. Uh, what's that been like too? Because I mean, if anyone drives up and down May Avenue, like, you could hop and hop. You know, you don't even have to leave your car. Basically, there's so many marijuana. Distribution places, but the grow side specifically is probably a lot more of what you know about because of how big the buildings they need, right, and the infrastructure they need. Yeah. So COVID happened just um, right after yeah. the big uh, boom for medical marijuana, and we don't have any property that's uh, rented to um, uh, med medical marijuana spaces, but I can I can certainly speak to what it's what it's done into the market so the 
the grows have taken a considerable amount of space in of, of uh, the available supply. Mm -hmm. So what, what you saw was call after call after call coming into the office. Well, first, a lot of folks looking for the space, which we don't really get involved in that. But the other phone call we got was plumbers, electricians, cabinet makers calling saying, hey, I've been displaced from my building. My, uh, we ended up selling it to somebody that's going to do a grow, or oh, yeah. our landlord did a lease with a grow, and so now we need a space. Because so. the grows are coming in paying double cash for mm, the most yeah, part, right? Yeah, they, they, they uh, perhaps pay a larger amount in some yeah. cases. Um, taking, sp you know, one of the helpful things that some of those uh, grows have done is they've taken space that was what we call functioning obsolescent. So it's yeah. maybe it's a it's a 30,000 square foot building that's eight feet tall. It's mm -hmm. out in the middle of some field. Just, nobody wants this building. It was a carpet store back yeah, in the day. Yeah, it was, yeah. A, it, was, it was custom built for right. a very short carpet store. Some yeah. just incredibly bizarre use. And so for that reason, it's great. I mean, that is the greatest recycling on earth, by the way, is right. to take an old building, fix it up, and put it to use as opposed to let it rot and build a new one. So it's super great that, that old space like that is being put to use. Um, and, and the, to the extent that space like that has been absorbed, a lot of our Class C space in, our, in, in uh, the Oklahoma City market, I'm very uh, happy about that. I think everybody is. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it really tightened up what was already a tight market. I mean, industrial space has always been very tight. The, so in office, for example, we've traditionally in Oklahoma City seen a 15% vacancy rate, up to 20% uh, in, in, in the time I've been in the business. Uh, Lease for lease space in the industrial sector. The highest that I've that I can remember it was when we had a seven percent vacancy rate. Mm -hmm. Today we're probably down, goodness, at two percent or one percent even. I mean, at that point, it's just almost not. It's not. It's really yeah. non-existent. So anyway, the, the the marijuana industry took up a lot of space, got the market really tight, and then COVID hit and it got really tight. So rents have been rising, occupancy has been falling, and it's in high demand. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's working, right? I yeah. mean, you know, it seems to, other than the problems that people have out in the country, of people's grows in the country, and we see it all over social media and, and the news sometimes, the drug busts or whatever, and, and a lot of people don't realize what is going on in the out in the country because they never see it. But, you know, there is a lot of illegal grows going on, and, and the people in the small towns, uh, I was out in Blackwell uh, a couple of months ago, and the, the guys were like, I mean, it's the people who own the buildings in downtown are happy because, like I said, their buildings are now rented. But it's that moral compass of what have they been rented, why are they being rented, and who's actually who are these people? Like they, they might not even be Oklahomans, if that makes sense, right? They might not even be from. They might be like me. They might not be yeah. an American. Um, but that's a whole set of problems that we don't really have to talk about. Um, tell me about your passion for cars and where that comes in. Sure, sure. Well, I've always. Uh I've always really liked uh, cars, um, and uh, it's it's a, it's a fun hobby of mine. Um, I know I've seen you in, in the car world, and uh, it, there's just uh, something a lot of my friends are involved in. So it's a it's it's a fun hobby. Do you have like a first memory of you know like that kind of cliche Lamborghini owner? And I'm gonna kind of razz on Lamborghini owners right now. Yeah, uh, is you know they first time they see like it's on their bedroom wall or whatever, yep. and you know yeah, like, I had that poster yeah. in the 1980s, like rolled up poster of a Lamborghini, and uh, just like every other kid. Yeah, so yeah, I've always been really into it, and uh, some of my best friends are mm -hmm. go up to cars and coffee, and so. It's just it's a fun crew to hang out with. Yeah, it's a you're right. I mean, not just for cars, right? But it's a great business group. It's a great you know you're around people who who are at a high level. You know they're they're successful, and that's you know the, there was that 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 quote right? The five people you spend the most time around. So you're gonna be like I'm butchering the quote, but everyone knows what it is. It's a great group to be around. Yeah. Um, and you will get to enjoy your hobby and release. And I'm sure no one really talks about work when they're there, which is great. Uh, what was the first kind of toy or treat that you gave yourself then after working so hard in real estate to get to, you know, your goals? Goodness, I, I, um, you know, I probably, I waited a long time. I think I was, I'd been in the business for six years and I finally got an Infiniti G35, yeah. which, you know, 
any car person is probably laughing at that. It's <laughs> the not worst much of a, sounding car in the world. Not much of a sports car, but it was, it was yeah. pretty inexpensive. But right. I mean, I'll tell you, I really tried really hard to be a saver in those early, many, many, I wouldn't even call them early years, I'd say in the first half, because those first couple of years were so tough that when things did get good, I wanted to be really careful because, yeah. you know, I just really wanted to be diligent just in case I, you know, went through, I mean, anyway, right. those left a big impression on me. Let's say that was first couple of years of not making any money in the business. So, but anyway, so I guess, I guess I got an Infiniti uh, G35, you know, a long time ago, and yeah. that was that was it. So, not a very exciting treat, I suppose. Well, was that like a product of like Fast and Furious movies, or was that? I mean, yeah. How do you how do you go to to buy you know a G over like a muscle car or something like that? Yeah. Well, I also keep in mind I only had one car, so I needed to take it to work too. Yeah. So to be out showing buildings, I mean, I really couldn't show up in some like souped up Camaro and <laughs> expect to be taken seriously. You know, I didn't have enough money to buy a really good. Right. Really nice car. So uh, yeah, so I got an Infinity and yeah. drove it around, and it was fun. It was and then fun. and then you dip your toe in the McLaren world. Yeah, uh, years ago I got a McLaren MP4 12C. That is was, and I, I'd had some other nice cars at that point, but but uh, the McLaren MP4 12C was a very cool car. Yeah, uh, I think I got that out of Missouri. And really enjoyed that. It was straight pipe. It was really loud. It was, it was super fast. Uh, of course, twin turbo. And uh, really enjoyed that car. Yeah. So you modded it as well? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, just a few things. Yeah. yeah. It's a good car. Uh, so it goes 12C, and then, then McLaren started designing cars properly because I, personally, I wasn't a huge fan of the 12C, how it looked. But after that, they went like, they had the arch over the, the lights. I mean, I love after the 12C for me. They just look great, like 570, 570, you know, GT and, and the S. Or, I mean, just amazing cars with the carbon tub and everything. So you went then to the I got a five, up again. Yeah, so I got a 570 about a year after getting the MP4. Mm-hmm. And... Oddly enough, I got the 570 to replace the MP4 course, but I just, I didn't really like it. Um, uh, I didn't like the way it sounded, but the big difference was I didn't like the way it sounded compared to the MP4 12C. Um, and, you know, I, 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 you're probably familiar with it, but the 600LT. I love the, that car. The 620R and uh-huh. the 570 are all basically the same car. Yeah. And... Um, forgive me here, but I'm telling you, they're not as good as the MP4. Right. You're not gonna believe this. So when I was in Houston, I'd, I'd taken, I went down to Houston to get it. I took my MP4 down there for service, and this service tech, a young guy, came out and he looks at, he looks at my MP4 and he goes, "No, that's a real one." Now, granted, it was like six years older. Yeah. It was, uh, but it, it, he, I, I came to learn what he what he meant is, yeah. it really was more. The 570 is kind of a. It's really just a dumbed-down version. I mean, it, it looks cooler, but the MP4-12C is just way more of a supercar. Yeah. I mean, it handles better. It sounds better. Uh, it might be faster. I mean, I could be... Somebody's going to fact-check me on that. I could be wrong, but it sure felt faster. I'll tell you that. So, anyway, I actually ended up selling the 570 and kept the MP4-12C. Okay. Yeah. One of the ones I'm surprised that people don't talk about more often is the 675LT. Yes. Because they didn't make that many of them. Or, or the 650. Right. So in my opinion, the 650 or the 675, which is a very similar car, yeah, yeah, yeah. is the best car for the money. Yeah. In fact, local guy, uh, just uh, his name's Lance. I the other day I was talking to him and he was like, "Man, should I get the 570?" I was like, "Dude, just get the 650." It is, yeah. So it's the front. That car is the front of the P1. Yeah. And for anybody that doesn't know, the P1 is like the mother of all McLarens. Right. I mean, well, I guess the F1 technically, but but the P1 is very awesome. So the 650 or the 675 is the front of the P1 and it's. It, it's it's and then it's basically an MP4 12C. It's yeah. the back of the MP4 12C, and then the inside looks like the MP4. So, it's beautiful, beautiful car, awesome car. Yeah. Uh, that might that would have been a way better move if I if I had known that I would have got I would have gone from the MP4 12C to the 650. Yeah. If somebody had told me I did. Right. Yeah. So you didn't know the group at this point, or like the car group at the, or did someone just say? No, well, no, well. 
It's, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Nobody told me. I All actually, right. I just kind of ran down and got that, and but it's the six fifties. Yeah. And then of course you go to the seven twenty, and that's, that's that's every man and their dog has a seven twenty. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is weird. We need to open a McLaren Oklahoma City like dealership. Fifteen of them now. Right? Yeah. It's you're not special right. anymore. No matter what color you have. You're not yeah. Special. Every that's basically the thing at this point. It's like what color did you get right there's 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 a bunch of them yeah there's a bunch of them so i mean somebody might be well served to get like a i mean get a huracan i guess if you're yeah. thinking about getting one of those just just to have something something a little different a little different yeah but i mean to that point and people listening might even zone out at this point but we're going to talk about cars because we love it is that like for the money it is pretty much the fastest thing you can buy, right? A 720 yeah. and, and a reliable one. And then you thought, hang on a second, someone calls you up and says, hey, I have a build slot for a 765 LT. So I am the luckiest guy you're going to meet today. So <laughs> yeah. I was talking to McLaren Atlanta about a 620R. Yeah. And I, which... I actually the reason I want to get the 620R because I want to get something nobody else had right and it's actually most people probably don't know what that is it's basically like a 600 LT like it's a race car yeah it's a yeah. yeah it's more of a race car yeah that's really cool you know what that is by the way um I, I actually didn't know what it was I was yeah. looking through Auto Trader I'm like what is that and did they come with the livery already on them or did they come just a blank color because the one I've seen is like black and yellow and has the hood scoop and everything and just looks like a road going rocket yeah ship. so they yeah. come with the nostrils in the hood right um I think they messed up because they should have done the the exhaust through the, through the bonnet like like they did on the 600 LT, uh-huh. but the exhaust comes out the back, which is kind of lame. But uh, but anyway, I mean, there's, there, it's a it's a track yeah. car yeah. and it's cool because nobody oh it's got a massive wing on it, mm-hmm. and that's what the 570 is missing. It needs a wing, but the 620's got that. So I'm talking to him. And I said, hey, oh, I was FaceTiming with him. Is what happened, and he just like pans past a 765, and I was like, dude, what was that? And he was well, it's a 765. But uh, yeah, don't even ask. And so I was like, is there any chance I could get a 765? I mean, it's just a stupid question. And he, he was like, well, you might be the luckiest guy in the world because somebody had ordered one. And, and I'm not celebrating this, but I'm just st- telling yeah. you the story. Somebody ordered one and they were in the restaurant business and they had ordered it years before. But because they're in the restaurant business, they weren't going to be able to take delivery potentially. Right. And so I said, hey, I'm going to send you a deposit right now, even if, you know, just let me be first in line. Just to I'm a serious be. buyer. Yeah. Here's the money. Yeah. So I sent him a deposit. And, um, f- you know, f- so for anybody that doesn't know, there was, th- they made 765. Approximately 200 of those made it into the United States. Mm-hmm. And then in order to get one, you have to get an allocation, which is very difficult. Um, it includes number one, knowing somebody and getting on this list, which certainly, you know, wasn't going to happen. You know, it took it was years ago. And then you have to you have to prove that you've owned other McLarens. You have to send in a bio. I need to check that you're not a yeah. car flipper. And then the fact that I was too close to Dallas almost disqualified me. Okay, I was. They were like, well, I don't know if we can sell one to Oklahoma City because that might upset Dallas. Gotcha. Or whatever. Anyway, long story short, I ended up getting the allocation. Crazy deal. Flew out to Atlanta, picked it up. Yeah, had some work done on it there, and then I had and I flew back and had the car shipped back. So yeah, it was I was really excited to get it. I, I'll tell you, I wouldn't. Have, so the, the biggest favor that whoever ordered this thing did is I remember I asked the guy, "Hey, you know, tell me about it." And they couldn't tell me anything. They're like, "Well, it's in production. Um, <laughs> we don't know." I'm like, "Well, hold on. Surely you can tell me something." Can I see uh, the build sheet? At yeah, least? They, yeah, yeah. They didn't have the build sheet. Yeah. It's like, uh, okay. And so I was like, well, what color is it? And they said, lime green. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, surely I can change that, right? Let me change anything but that. And they go, well, the problem is, is where it's at. And there, there's a lock on it. So yeah. as of like two months ago, you can't change it's anything. Too far down the, uh, the production line. To change yeah, it's too far down the production line. Yeah. So then they actually call it lime green on the sticker but but it's actually napier green which is okay. a way cooler color right. it's like highlighter yellow almost it I mean, is highlighter yellow yeah, yeah. It, or I call it Ryobi, what, Ryobi green um, I actually have a Ryobi stick on the car it's kind of funny yeah. and uh, everybody calls it the Ryobi car which is kind of funny but yeah. uh, anyway so 
that's actually turned out to be a, a favor because I never would have got that color. I would have gotten gray. Right. It's like my other two, they were gray. So I would have gotten gray for sure, which yeah. would have been like the worst possible choice. So anyway, it turned out good. It's been fun. And it came with black wheels and you put, you put chrome ones on it, which makes the color pop. Even yeah. More. So or yeah. Chrome silver ones, right? Yeah. I may have lowered it and done some other things that would probably avoid my warranty if I mentioned them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I did some work to it. I did some wheels. So it's really fun. Yeah. You know, they say it's the fastest production car ever made. It runs at 8.9 quarter, 8, 8, uh, second quarter mile uh, right out of the box. It's so rapid. It's yeah. fun. Yeah, it's, it's fun. a lot of fun, especially to bring to work every day. Yeah. Um, which is one of the good things about it. We've spoken previously, right, is the fact that you can drive it every day if you want to, and you don't have to worry too much about putting too many miles on it like other brands and, and drivers do but mm-hmm. uh, people definitely appreciate seeing it it always pops up on the facebook group you know wherever you're at and i, I get calls you know uh, my brother-in-law is kind of a car guy but he doesn't know the difference but he knows the fast car when he sees one he's like hey this mclaren just passed me and i was the first question i was like is it brad because we both both yeah. of us know brad yeah. and he's like no no it wasn't brad so it's uh it's like lime green it's like yeah <laughs> i know it's zach <laughs> brad maybe brad Boone may be the most famous person in oklahoma city i mean i see his car on yeah. car spotter Every single day, yeah, like, every single is, day. it's hilarious. So, yeah. finishing up with this, then, um, if someone's listening that wants to get into commercial real estate or that just wants to be an entrepreneur, what are kind of like your your words of wisdom and your kind of last, I guess, little thing here? Um, read rich dad, poor dad. Spend less than you make, and uh, uh, you know, I, I I I guess I'm not big on, on, on you don't need to read a, a whole lot of books. Just Try to pick pick a pick a ideology that you like and try to apply it. So uh, I, I've always liked uh, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad. My mom gave that to me when I was 19, and I read it every year. And I give that book to folks, and it's a uh, it's a good guide. Awesome. Well, Zach, thank you so much for your yep. time. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for letting me come down to the office and see the spot. Uh, and for everyone listening, I'll post the web link to the uh, Adept website. You can go check that out. Uh, we'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Thanks. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling an Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.